Good morning once again. Thank you all for being here with us. Thank you for everybody online. Thank you for worshiping with us. If you're a guest with us, whether in person or online, my name is Tim. I'm a pastor here at TF. Uh, and it is really just an honor and blessing that you would want to worship with us here this morning. If you have a Bible, uh, you can open up to Matthew 6 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. As you're turning there, i got some announcements for us. Um, obviously, we've been sending out, and you guys know this because you're here, we've been sending out a weekly RSVP email for people who want to be in uh, person. We've also been posting it online. So if you're planning to come join us in person, we ask that you fill that out just so we know space-wise who's going to be where and all that. Um, also, there is uh, online on our Tuesday nights, we're doing our Zoom prayer meetings at uh, 7 o'clock on Tuesdays. You can jump on. We've been sending that link out as well uh, where you can jump on and, and pray. We're keeping this to about 45 minutes to an hour or so, right, time About 45 minutes to an hour where it's uh, a time to just refresh and, and go into the week uh, covered in God's prayer. And Ty's been doing a great job of connecting and, and being faithful to that. Um, so I encourage you to jump in and, and connect with Ty and pray. Uh, on Tuesday nights, we also have our community groups. Our community groups are really where all of the good things, all the stuff that we love about this community that God has given to us, come together in our community groups. Um, so we have groups. We have a women's group that meets on Monday nights. We have an online group on uh, Wednesdays. We have another group that meets on Thursday nights, and then a Saturday morning group at 8 a.m. So if you are interested in jumping in on a group, you're still, you're always welcome. There's always space. We can definitely accommodate you, even if it's just like, hey, I got a random Wednesday, Thursday night open. Come and be blessed and join and connect and build some community and fellowship. Um, so all of those meet here in the church building. Um, and so you can get more information from that on our website. Um, you can also uh, give online. If you're with us this morning, if you'd like to give, there's an offering plate in the back. You can give today. If you're with us online and you'd like to give, you can do so at churchinroscovillage.org slash give. Um, and then we have coming up uh, what is our first like big, big, uh, I guess big, big event that we're going to try and do together in person uh, on April 24th. It is a Saturday. We're going to do some cleaning up of Roscoe Village. So it is Clean and Green Day. We're put on by our friends at the Roscoe Village Neighbors Association. So we'll be meeting at Felger Park, which is down um, just down Damon uh, near Belmont, where we're going to get together and we're going to pull some weeds, throw out some garbage, and just in general help beautify this neighborhood God has called us to and put us in. So I will have more info for you uh, on that as we get closer. But April 24th, 9 a.m., uh, we'll be down there to start cleaning up. And usually we clean up down Damon and then we clean up up and down Newport and try and just get as much as we can done in a couple of hours to help beautify this neighborhood that we love so much. So that's April 24th uh, at 9 a.m. Um, I think that is it for our announcements. So you can, as I said, go to Matthew 6. We're going to start a new sermon series this week. Um, this is the week after Easter. And though Easter is the big crescendo and we celebrate Christ is risen, he's still risen today. He's still risen indeed. Christ's resurrection from the grave shows us that God is trustworthy, that God is reliable, that God is who he says he is. And that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, God in the flesh who came to earth to die for our sins. Jesus' resurrection shows us that he was not just another teacher. He was not just a good person, but he was so much more than that. The resurrection means that what Jesus had to say, what he did, should matter and should affect us and should shape us today. It should do something in and through us today. His actions give his words even more weight and volume. His resurrection, give the things he said even more weight and volume. 
And so with that in mind, we're going to spend a couple of weeks studying what Jesus had to say regarding one of the most vital and also challenging aspects of our relationship with God, prayer. Specifically, we're going to look at what is probably the most famous prayer of Jesus. It is one of those passages of Scripture that transcends Christian culture. You'll find it on plaques in drugstores. You'll hear it said in locker rooms before football games. It's one of those passages that even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably have some knowledge, some reference point when I say that we're going to be studying the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. And so as a setup point to this series we're going to be in for these next few weeks, the Lord's Prayer can be found in both Matthew 6 and Luke 11. And in the context which they show up in those two different Gospels, um, there are different, uh, it's different context, different situation, and there's slight word variations as well. But throughout this series, we're going to, even today, we're going to reference both of them and look at both accounts. I'll do my best to keep us focused on if you should be in Matthew 6 or Luke 11. Um, if you're lost, I'm probably lost, so uh, we'll figure it out together. It'll be fun. But my hope in doing this, in, in studying this prayer this way, taking our time to walk through it, is one, to help us grow in our own prayer lives, right? The more we study something and practice something, the better we can grow in it. But also, two, I hope that we're going to learn that the words that we say when we pray matter. That when we're speaking with God, when we're speaking with our Heavenly Father, we want to be intentional and consider the ways in which we speak to him. And in considering the words that we use, we're going to grow in our maturity as followers of Christ. So today the plan is we're going to do a little bit of overview on prayer in general, and then we will get into the Lord's Prayer. So I'm going to pray, and then we will uh, jump in. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together, both in person and online, virtually. Thank you for the advancements in technology that allow that to happen. God, we confess to you this morning our sins. We confess that we have fallen short of you. We have fallen short of what you have called us to be over and over again this week. We have sinned through our actions, through our words, and we have sinned in places where we knew what was right and we chose not to act. Lord, we confess these things to you knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we know that you are the God of justice and unity, peace, and reconciliation. That's why we can come to you and confess these things knowing who you are. God, in that same way that you are a God of justice and unity and peace and reconciliation, Lord, help us to be agents of those things here on earth. Help us to be driven by those things here on earth. That as we live in a broken, fallen world, as it is hard and messy, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixated on you, to not let this world steal the joy that you have promised to us and delivered to us on a daily basis. Lord, help us to rest in what we know of who you are and to develop a hunger and thirst to know you deeper and deeper still. God, give us eyes to see your words this morning. Give us minds to understand. Give us hearts to believe. Give us hands and feet to respond to what it is you have for us today. As I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to be in Matthew 6 this morning. We're going to start in verse 5. 
when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I don't think, in a church setting, I don't think I have to convince anyone here that Christians should pray. Scripture is pretty clear about that. Scripture is pretty clear that this should be a mark of us as individuals as well as corporately as the church. So the question then becomes, why don't we pray? We know we should. There are countless books and resources and instructions and sermons and prayers already written. So where's the disconnect? Why is this such a struggle for us at times? Well, to answer that, let's back up for a minute. Let's talk about what is prayer. Dallas Willard says, prayer is conversing and communicating with God. Very simple, very direct. John Piper uh, says this about prayer. It's one of my favorite quotes about prayer. He says, prayer is objectively real. A real God, real communication, real work, real answers. But it also comes in a million shapes and forms. Prayer happens in seconds short moments in the cracks of our day, and it can happen for hours at a time, even throughout a whole night. Prayer is conscious, personal communication with the God of the universe. In our New City Catechism that we've been walking through, that you heard the Jackalones uh, read for us this morning, New City Catechism defines prayer as pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession, and thanksgiving. The thing all of these different explanations of what prayer is have in common in one way or another is that it's about engaging with God. And that reality is something to be marveled at. And I think at times it can be sort of overwhelming, this thought, this idea for people, and I think it might be where some of our prayer hindrances come from. I mean, the God of all creation, the one who spoke and everything happened, the one who keeps things moving, the one who holds all of this in order, we get to engage with him. We have the privilege and blessing to spend time with our creator and sustainer, our savior and our king. And when we think about that, that concept may overwhelm us. Rightly so. He is God, we are very much not. But here's the twist. He wants to spend time with you. When you text or call a friend or loved one and invite them to coffee or dinner at a socially distant, respectable space, you do so because you care about them and you care about that relationship. It brings you gladness and joy to spend time with them and to be in that relationship with them. The same is true for God. He delights in you and spending time with you. In talking about the future restoration of Israel, the prophet Zephaniah in Zephaniah 3 says that the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. 
He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Zephaniah is talking about the future day where we are in the presence of God. And I love this verse because it says he will exult over you with loud singing. He will rejoice over you. There will come a day where we are in the presence of God and he will be so delighted to be with us. He will sing praises over us. He will rejoice and be singing over us. In Psalm 147, it says, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, have reverence for him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. God delights in you. He delights in spending time with you. And we, in turn, are called to delight in him, to spend time with him. And that's what prayer is. And so when Paul writes in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's a call for us to spend time and enjoy the presence of God. Psalm 70 says, may all, who seek your, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say forevermore, God is great. God wants to spend time with you in prayer. It is a vital aspect of your relationship with God. In Luke 11, the other account that we have of the Lord's Prayer, the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. And he tells them, pray like this. And he begins to say, be our Father. In our passage this morning, where we're looking at it in Matthew 6, it comes in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I think prayer is a big, important thing, and the Bible makes a big deal of communing with God. And I think Jesus taught a bunch, and probably more than just twice on prayer, but these are the two big accounts that we have of him teaching on prayer. What do we do with the Lord's Prayer? Literally, what, what do we do with it? Is it supposed to be said and recited verbatim? Is it more of like a, a guide or a tool kind of guiding us on how to pray? Should it be the only thing Christians pray? Should we not pray it? What do we, what do, we do with this? I think it can be both a guide and an actual prayer to pray because Jesus says right here, he says, pray then like this, and he says these words. In Luke 11, he says, when you pray, say these things. So I think using this prayer to recite is good and valuable. If I didn't, we wouldn't be spending the next six or seven weeks studying it. But I also think that we can take the concepts that Jesus uses in the Lord's Prayer, the flow and pattern, and use them as anchors as we cultivate and craft our own prayer lives, our own communication with God. Because prayer in one sense, yes, it is communal, right? right? We, we pray together. We pray in small groups, in big groups. We pray together. But prayer is also very personal. You pray by yourself, sometimes not even using the words out loud, but in your head and heart. But prayer is something to be learned, something to cultivate. It is a skill and a discipline to be cultivated in our lives. So Jesus gives some instruction here in our passage in Matthew 6 on prayer. He says, starting in verse 5, he says, when you pray. And then he starts in verse 6, when you pray. And then in verse 7, when you pray. You've heard me say this before. Repetition in the Bible, always important. Repetition in close proximity, very, very important. Jesus here, is a, there's an expectation that the people hearing him teach are prayers. Those who heard him here in Matthew, if you go back to uh, chapter 5 where the Sermon on the Mount starts, you'll see it's the crowds gathered around him. And the crowds are a mix of Jew and Gentile, religious and not. Jesus spoke assuming that whoever was hearing him were people who had some form of prayer life about them. 
When you pray, there is an intentionality to that. Intentionality is something you're going to hear me say over and over for these next couple of weeks. Because the reality is you will not have a real and strong and healthy prayer life by happenstance or chance. You will not wake up one day and be grounded and rooted in a consistent, deep prayer life if you don't take intentional steps to pursue it. It takes intentionality to create a habit of being consistent in prayer. Jesus made a habit of prayer. Early in, in Mark's gospel in chapter 1, he spends a whole day, goes into the town at the beginning of his ministry, and he spends a whole day, he's healing people well into the evening. People are bringing the sick and the cripples, and he's, he's healing all kinds of people late into the night. The next morning, he gets up early before anybody else, and he goes off by himself, and he spends hours in prayer. Peter and the disciples come looking for him, and they say, Jesus, everybody, there's another crowd back at the house. They want more. They want more of you. They want to, they want to spend more time with you. They want you to heal some more. And Jesus says, too bad, we got to go. There's other people who need to hear the good news. There's other people who need to hear what it is that I'm bringing. The kingdom of God needs to be proclaimed, so we got to go. He makes this decision where it would have been much easier and comfier for him to stay there and be regarded and loved on. But instead, he spends hours in prayer and in that time decides, I got to keep moving. I got to keep going. In Luke's gospel in chapter 6, he spends all night praying before choosing the disciples. He's got a big decision ahead of him. These 12 guys are going to be the guys he pours into, the guys he disciples, the guys he builds up so that they might go and proclaim the good news and eventually lead the church. He's got a big decision to make. He spends all night praying before he makes it. Do we do that? Do we put intentional time and thought and energy into praying before making a big decision? Or do we make a big decision and then say, God, I pray that you would bless that decision I've already made? Two very different schools of thought. Over and over, we see Jesus in the Gospels remove himself from the crowds to be alone and pray. He did this so often that Judas knew where to find Jesus on the night he was arrested because Judas knew Jesus, after celebrating Passover, was going to go off by himself to pray in the garden in a place where he knew and went too often to pray. Jesus made a habit, a regular part of his life, to be in prayer. He made big decisions based on spending time in prayer first. He used it to rejuvenate himself. I mean, think about it. If Jesus, God in the flesh, made a regular habit, a regular discipline of being in prayer, if there was anyone ever that walked on this earth who was more in tune with Jesus, who could that possibly be? Nobody. He's more in tune with God the Father than anybody who's ever walked this earth, and yet he made a point to be in prayer regularly. So if he did it, we definitely need to do it. Intentional. Jesus says, when you pray... And before he explains how to pray, he says, don't do these things. Avoid these ways of prayer. He says, don't be like the hypocrites and don't be like the Gentiles. He says in verse 5, the hypocrites make a show of themselves. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. They yell on the corners. They make a show of it in the synagogues. They want everyone to know how great they are. They want everyone to know how special and religious and spiritual they are. In our world today, social media is a huge part of our lives. 
And there are a lot of reasons to use and post on social media. It can help connect people. It can spark creativity. It can do a lot of good things. But really, at some level, we use social media to show other people our lives, to make a big deal of ourselves, even if only for the 15 or 20 followers we might have. And what's been created in the rise of social media, the rise of reality television, is things like the phrase, pics or it didn't happen. We have to have proof that we did something. We have to have proof that we were there. It's not enough to just say, I went to the Cubs game the other day. You've got to take that selfie with the Wrigley Field scoreboard in the back. It's not enough to say, hey, I went on a mission trip. I was there. You've got to have that picture of you surrounded by all the orphan kids. You've got to have the pictures. You've got to have the proof or it didn't happen. We have this need and desire. I've got to go live with this. I've got to show people my experience. People want to know my thoughts, my, my actions on these things. And let's be honest, most of the time when we post on social media, it's the best things that we have to show. The most selfless times, the most fun times, the most inspiring times. And even when we post things that we consider to be gritty or more real, we make sure to tell people about how gritty and real this is. Hashtag no filter. So that we seem more honest because we got to get those likes. Jesus says the people driven by the adulation of others, their reward is simple, short, and temporary. For them, the show, and whatever adulation they might acquire in those moments, that's the end of the story. That's all they're going to receive. Any recognition, that's it for them. It's going to fade away. He goes on in verse 7, and he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Those who worshipped false gods commonly believed and worshipped through repetition of words or phrases or just constantly making noise and talking, yelling out. You see this uh, in Elijah on Mount Carmel. You see them yelling out and screaming to, to their false god. This idea, if I say enough words, then this god which I have created will eventually respond. And it's not just about quantity, but also the kind of words, the, the quality. I'm going to use all kinds of words. And this creeps into our own prayer life, right? We speak in a normal way. It's a, you know, a conversational way. Hey, how are you? Hey, how's work? Did you see this? Did you go here? Tell me about that. But then you start praying with a group of other people, especially if you're praying with other Christians, and you go from, hey, how are you? Nice day to, oh, Lord, I beseech thee in your holy name that you would rain down tribulation upon those who would... It's, we have this whole other vocabulary for when we pray with other Christians. We have this whole other thing, this whole other sack of words that we try and throw up to make ourselves look more spiritual. We subliminally decide that we need to use big vocabulary or we just ramble on and the word just gets used a thousand times in our prayer. Now look, processing is fine. If anybody knows me, I am a verbal processor. Regardless if anybody's around, I'm going to talk out my thoughts. It makes me look kind of crazy. I'm kind of happy about the mask thing in public kind of keeps me not looking so crazy. Processing in prayer is fine. But again, it comes back to intentionality. Why are you using the words you're using? What is the heart behind the words that you use? Are you trying to impress others? 
Or are you trying to have an actual conversation with God? Because you see, prayer is not about trying to inform or instruct God. Jesus said your Heavenly Father already knows what you need. He knows the prayer you're going to pray. He already knows these things. So then you say, well, why do I have to pray then? Why should I pray? It's not have to, it's get to. We get to commune with God. We get to heap up and, and say and, and pour our hearts out to him. That's for us. Prayer is a gift to us that we have this opportunity to go to him. So after Jesus gets done saying what we should avoid doing, he says in verse 9, pray then like this. And he gives us the Our Father. Martin Luther said this about the Our Father. He said, this prayer is the greatest martyr on earth. Because it was used, he said, so frequently without thought or feeling and without reverence or faith. The Lord's Prayer is the greatest martyr on earth because it is used so frequently without thought or feeling and without reverence or faith. This prayer, as we're going to see over these next few weeks, is a big, heavyweight kind of prayer. It's one that if you're going to actually pray it and mean it and have faith behind it, it will take some intentionality on your part and it can and should change every part of your life. But too often, it gets regurgitated without any thought, feeling, or care toward the words being used or the God you're praying to. That's why we need intentionality in our prayer. That's why we need to consider the words that we use when we pray. So with all that said, I want to dive in to the Lord's Prayer. Surprisingly, we're not going to get very far this morning. We're going to look at two words, our Father. Right at the top, I want to address the fact that this prayer opens with the phrase, Our Father, not our Mother. There are some translations of the Bible that are hyper-focused on gender inclusivity to the point where they have manipulated the text of the Bible. We cannot bend and lean with every breeze of society to begin to evade or change the way that God reveals himself to us in scripture is to begin down a very potentially slippery slope which makes all of the bible all of God's word flexible to fit my will and my whim and whatever I see fit in the moment God reveals himself as father this is not a slight against women this is not in any way saying women are less than or unequal to men In fact, there are places in the Bible in which God uses the image of motherhood to speak about how he loves and cares for his people. Hosea 11, Hosea 13, Isaiah 66, all reference into the way that a mother cares for her newborn is how God cares for us. But predominantly throughout Scripture, it is in and through and by the role of father that God reveals himself. Jesus refers to God as his father something 153 times or something like that. And I realize that in God revealing himself as father, for some that's going to be hard to wrestle with, hard to deal with based on your earthly father and the relationship or lack thereof you might have. And I know this is easier said than done for many people, but I pray that you would not, don't let your earthly father's shortcomings and sins define how you relate to your heavenly father. We are not to compare our heavenly father based on our earthly father, but quite the opposite, we are to compare our earthly fathers to our heavenly father because God has eternally been father. 
before there was anything, before there was light, before there was anything, when it was just God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just the Trinity, God was eternally Father. Jesus was eternally Son. This is not a learned quality for God. This is not a new trait he has had to pick up along the way. It's who he has always been. He is the very embodiment and creator of the role, and he allows us as men to share in that role in a flawed and broken way here on earth. But God is who he is, and he does this role as father perfectly at all times. God revealing himself to us as father, and even just that concept that God reveals himself to us at all is amazing. He is not distant. He is not unknowable. He has not kept himself from being reachable. He makes himself known. He reaches to us. He reveals himself to us. His character, his qualities, who he is, reveals himself to us so that we might know him more and more, be drawn to him, grow in a relationship with him. And as Jesus tells us to pray to God in this way and call him our Father, that's a, this is a whole, the Lord's Prayer is a game-changing prayer. It is a gospel-saturated kind of prayer. These two words that Jesus uses at the top, really these two words are the two words that put Jesus on the cross in the eyes of the Pharisees. In John 5.18, it says, This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father making himself equal with God. Jesus refers to God as his Father over and over again. In almost every prayer that we have recorded in the Bible of Jesus, he refers to God as Father. And this was something that was not common at the time. There are two uh, direct instances of God as Father in the prophet Isaiah. But usually in the Old Testament, if you were talking about God as Father, it was more in the sense of he is the creator of all of existence. He is the father of creation. It was not a personal, familial, relational level as Jesus did. But this is God revealing himself to us, showing us a new way to interact and engage with him. We have a new relationship with God through Jesus. This relationship is for you and for me and for us together. Jesus says, our Father, not my Father, not your Father. I mean, yes, my Father, yes, your Father, but our Father. It's a communal aspect to it. All of the Lord's Prayer has a communal aspect to it, a relational aspect, not only between us and God, but us together as we engage with the Father. We do so together, yes. I mean, yes, you have your personal walk with Christ, I have my personal walk with Christ, but that personal relationship is done in community. Christians are to be in community. It's connecting us one to another. We are part of the universal Big C Church, which spans not only geography, but time itself. He is our Father, and He does not play favorites. He's all of our Father. He connects to all of us. He relates to all of us. We all have access to Him by and through Jesus Christ, equal and complete access if you are a Christian. This is God revealing himself to us. And these two words, our Father, have loaded within them deep, deep roots. A father, the role of father at that time was one of protector and provider. He was also the one who gave the identity to the family. You were known as the son of whoever your dad was. That's why it was so difficult to be a widow or orphan in those days because you had no protection, you had no provision, and you had no identity. You were a target to be taken advantage of. 
God provides for us. He protects us. He teaches. He shares wisdom with us. He cares for us. This is the role and actions of our Heavenly Father. He sets the bar for what a father is supposed to be. In practical terms, the relationship that the Son has given us, that Christ has given us in His death and resurrection with God the Father, it's equivalent to His own. We, Jesus is our brother. In the Son, in Jesus, we have become heirs to the kingdom of God. We are co-rulers with Him in Christ. But that does not mean, okay, I'm a Christian and now I can just wait until I get to go be with my Heavenly Father. No, we have a calling here to live and glorify God. Because just the fact that we were made the children of God, that came with a huge price tag. It came at the expense of the, of the death of Jesus. And just as Jesus glorified his Father while on earth, so too are we called to glorify him. But we can't do that by our own strength, but only in and through the relationship that the Father has given to us through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So when we pray our Father, we do so by and through the work of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the ability to even do that because our Father is also the one who redeems us and calls us back to himself. We pray the Our Father because He created us, and our Creator is also the very one who redeems us. It's in that redeeming love that we know Him as Father. Now, God revealing Himself to us as Father, there's, there's kind of two ways, I think, when we look at the Lord's Prayer, I kind of see it in, in two different camps, and this is kind of where my mind's been throughout this week. On one hand, we have Christians. Christians who... When they say the Our Father, when we pray the Our Father with truth and, and intentionality, we can say Our Father in heaven, and we've known, we've tasted and seen the Lord is good. We know God as Father. There is an intimacy, a safety, and a power in relating to God as our Father. An intimacy, a safety, and a power in relating to Him. For the Christian, God is your Father. That means you have been adopted into the family of God by grace through faith in Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. As I said before, Jesus is our older brother, the greatest older brother who has ever existed because he died on the cross to make it possible for us to be adopted into the family of God. And with that comes a new relationship with God. And as Paul writes in Romans, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are able to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for dad. In general, we don't see in the Old Testament talk of God as father. You definitely don't see God referred to as dad. But Jesus did. Because Jesus had an intimate relationship with the Heavenly Father. Jesus did that, and because also we are the children of God, we have that same kind of intimate relationship with God through Christ. Our relationship with God is one that nobody else outside of the family of God can have. I want to paint it for you this way. In Revelation 4, there's a description of the throne room, of, of the place where God's throne is at in heaven. And I want, to, I want to read this to you. And as I read this, I want you to just try and picture these images in your mind. John writes, and he says, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. He who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. 
and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne was burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give honor and glory and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who live forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I want you to close your eyes for a second. If you're at home, close your eyes. No peeking. I want you to picture these things. This view of the throne. You got angels. You have these creatures. You have the saints on their thrones. You have the fire. You have the things that look like emeralds. There's all this glory, all this beauty, and whatever it is you have pictured in your mind when you think of this throne room. And I promise you, whatever you have pictured, whatever I have pictured, is the reality of it is weirder and more magnificent than anything we can imagine. And in the midst of all of it, you have God himself on the throne. And as all of that is going on, you and I, his children, have not only the ability, but the right to go to him this awesome, magnificent creator of all existence on his throne, as they're singing, holy, 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 we can go to him and say, Dad, I need you. Dad, I need you to hear me, and he will, and he does. Open your eyes, I don't want anybody going to sleep. There's an intimacy with the Father. There's an intimacy for Christians through the death and resurrection of Jesus, through the adoption, full and complete adoption. You have been grafted fully and completely into the family of God. It cannot be revoked. It cannot be changed. There's nothing you can do to change your standing with God if you have put your faith in Christ. You cannot lose your place as a daughter or son of God, as a child of God. You have an intimacy with him. There's also a safety there, a safety in knowing who you are as a child of God, of knowing how God will relate to you, how God sees you, how God knows you, and there's a safety in being able to go to him and trust him. I think a hindrance for a lot of Christians today is that we don't fully grasp how it is that God sees us, our true standing with God, our identity with him. If you are a Christian, your identity is wrapped up in Christ. So God, how God sees and engages with Jesus, he does the same for you and for me. And so I would implore you, get into the word. 
I mean, just do a Google search of your identity. Was the Christian's identity in Christ? Go and learn, who am I in Christ? Go ask that question, who am I in Christ? Get secure in that, and it will open up your prayer life, and it will lead you to trust him more and more. You will be able to trust him with your ups and downs, your fears and your burdens and your joys. There is a safety and a trust in knowing that God is who he says he is and that he is our Father. There's also a power in knowing that God is your Heavenly Father. That he will go to great lengths for you, even so far as sending Jesus to die for you in your place. He will protect you and provide for you and be there with you always, even to the end of the age. There is a power in knowing that your dad is the one who sits on the throne in control of all things at all times. And so when we pray to God and we say, Our Father, you know he hears you. You know he cares. And you know that he has the full and complete power and authority to act on your behalf. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can hinder him. If he chooses to act, he will with complete force. There's an intimacy in knowing God as Father. There's a safety and there is a power there as we relate to God and he allows us to relate to himself as his children. I said earlier, though, there's two camps, right? What if you're in the second one? In Matthew 6, as I said, he's preaching, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching to the crowds. He's preaching to Jews and Gentiles. He's preaching to everybody, and he tells everybody there, everyone there listening, some who believe that Jesus is who he says he is, some who just heard a guy, saw a crowd, and hung out. But he tells everybody there, Pray like this. Say these words. Our Father. He tells them, call God your Father. Now we've already said, if you are a Christian, you have been given a right. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are a son or daughter of God. But not every person who is created is a child of God in the relational, intimate way that we just got done talking about, right? But there is the sense that God is the creator of all of existence. And because of that, all of creation can cry out, Father. And for that person who cries out, who says this prayer and doesn't already have a relationship with God, it can either be an act of heaping up empty words like Jesus talked about in our passage, right? The clanging of symbols, just making noise because it's without love, right? As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if I don't have love, I'm just making noise. It could be that. It could just be blind regurgitation. I've, I learned this prayer when I was a kid. It's, there's a group of people saying it. I'm just going to say it. Or it could be something much, much deeper, much more significant. Because this prayer couldn't be a calling out to God. When you pray this prayer and you say these words and you call out to God as Father and you acknowledge that God is Father, even if you might not understand in that moment, there is a longing of our hearts as being created in the image and likeness of God. There is a longing within every created person to know God deeper and deeper still and to be known by him. So there is this calling out, this acknowledgement of God as Father that has within it this beauty and ability to draw the unbeliever closer to God, to draw someone who doesn't know God yet as Father, to draw them closer to himself, to learn that he is their Father. I think anyone can pray this prayer. But as I said earlier, I think it comes down to what's the intent of your heart? What's the intent of the words you're using? Why are you calling God Father? What are you trying to communicate? What are you trying to express? What are you trying to say to him? 
What are you trying to make known? Because you see, even for a non-believer, there's a power in this prayer. It's a declaration of God as Father. You acknowledging that there is one above and beyond you who is more powerful and more, has more authority in, in you. There's a humility in that kind of prayer. To be able to say there is, a created, there is a, an uncreated being that is more powerful, that is above and beyond me, there's a humility there. And you go through this prayer, hallowed be your name. We're going to talk about that phrase next week. Great is your name. Respected is your name. Revered and holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, I want you in control of my life. That's a big, big prayer, especially for somebody who doesn't even know Jesus yet. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, I need you. I need you in the daily. I need you in the small stuff. I need you in the minutia. I need you to help get food in my mouth. Forgive my debts. Forgive my trespasses for some of you. Forgive my sins. An acknowledgement and confession of sin. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Protect me, God. Keep me walking in your light. Keep me walking in your will. I realize there's a difference between walking with God and not walking with God, and I want you to be with me. You hear it throughout this prayer? There's a lot of gospel in the prayer. And so the power of the gospel for the person who prays this prayer, whether or not they're a child of God when they start at the Our Father, they very well could become a child of God by the very end when they ask for him to protect them from evil. There is a truth there. If there is a truth and a longing in their heart and a true belief by the end of that prayer, they might very well, they might not start as a child of God, but they might very well get there by the end. There's a power in that prayer of God revealing himself to us in this so that we might come to know and learn and love the intimacy and safety and power of God as Father. Do you know him like that? Do you know him personally as Father? Do you know him as your protector, your provider, your comforter, the one who cares for you? I pray this morning is that day where you come to know him and that you can pray and say, Our Father, and experience the fullness and the joy of what that phrase means. Let's pray. Our Father, you are good. You're good all the time. There's so much to know of who you are. And you regularly, routinely, continuously reveal yourself to us through your word, through your communities, through just your creation, you are displaying yourself to us. God, help us to, for those who are believers, for those who have put their faith in Jesus, help us to rest in and enjoy knowing you as Father. to enjoy and lean into the fact that we can come to you, that we have the right and opportunity to come boldly before the throne at any point, in any way. We don't have to worry about if you're in a bad mood. We don't have to worry about how you're feeling towards us. We know that you are a loving Father. You are the perfect, holy Father. God, I pray for those who have baggage with that term, Father those who have been hurt and scarred by their earthly fathers. 
Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in a way to show them how much you care, how much you protect and provide and, and who you are and what a, what a father truly is supposed to be. They would come to be nourished by you and your role as father. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you in that way. They don't have that personal relationship with you. They might know you as the creator, but don't know you as dad. Lord, I pray that they would come to know you. They would come to be able to realize that they could go to you and just cry out to you, and you are there, and you hear, and you pay attention. And when you act, you don't act in just a little bit of your power, just a little bit of your grace. You act with full and complete power and grace and majesty. You have a never-ending never well of power and majesty and grace and love and mercy to pour out on every one of us all the time. God, I pray that there would be those who would come to know you as Father and find that as a joy and a rest and a blessing and something to challenge them and challenge all of us, Lord. As we go into the world and we claim to be Christians, we claim to have this faith we claim to be your children, Lord. Help us to act like it. If the Father is the one who provides identity, then Lord, help us as the children of God to be those who reflect you to this world. To find our identity wrapped up in who Christ is. And live in light of that. Lord, as we go into the world to be the lights of the world you have made us to be, give us the strength, give us the energy, and when we forget, when we lose sight, call us back to yourself, fill us back up so we can continue to be these lights and shine brightly. Lord, we pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen.